We started through Hebrews just to draw into remembrance with so much going on, a review that began about God speaking to us through the prophets through angels in the Old Testament. Uh, we had angels speak to Mary in the New Testament, to some of the apostles also. From time to time, that is a thing that has been fulfilled because we have a more sure word of prophecy. Our prophecy now came and comes directly to us through the very Son of God Himself. They worshipped angels, the Pharisees. And Paul was writing to the Hebrews in order to teach them of Christ, the man, the Son of God, whom they had rejected. These people that he's writing to are people that are born again of God among the Jews. I think that the lost sheep of the house of Israel, God had revealed Himself to them through Jesus Christ. They were enabled to see that Christ fulfilled the law and had brought them from the law into grace. That their works of righteousness were as filthy rags as anyone else's. They were no better than anyone else. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But Christ, the very Son of God Himself, has come to this world, Lord Himself down and saved us from our sins. He was. The angels were made by Him and for Him. They were ministers to God. They do that by ministering to God's people. That's no different. That's no different. But the text is dealing with the born-again Jews. The text is dealing with the knowledge of Christ. The text is dealing with the Gospel. Not a greater man in the knowledge of the law to take the law that Christ fulfilled and to show how types and shadows the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, the Apostle Paul. He speaks of Him having power over the angels. And as we call closed last week, we talked about Him sitting upon the throne of God's righteousness and the throne forever and everything in the law and the prophets being fulfilled in Him. Such a great testimony to Jewish men and women who were under the law and had been taught the law their entire life. And all of a sudden... As Paul said in Ephesians 3, this great mystery, mystery, no one had known it. It was kept hidden. Now being revealed to the children of God, not just Jew, but Greek or Gentile also. The church of Christ. The church of revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I said this recently, but... When you go through texts like this, you repeat things because it we're not going from topic to topic, but straight through, and it refers back through several chapters. But to say that Jesus asked His disciples, whom do men say that I am? Elias, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But whom say ye? Born again children who were disciples. The word means discipline. Disciples who followed the Lord. Whom say ye that I am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus made this statement regarding the church. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, 
but my Father which art in heaven. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That rock, Christ is the rock. The rock that Christ is speaking of is the revelation of the grace of God, the election of grace, and Jesus Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. These Jews were taken by the Lord and brought into the church by being born again in their heart. They were translated into the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of His dear Son, Colossians 1 says. Now with all this going on and their worshiping of angels and the stars and hosts of heaven and all the things that they had worshipped because this is the nature of man to be as God. It's what made Adam fall. He's teaching them about Christ. Worship Christ. Christ has delivered us from the law of sin and death. That's in the next chapter where we're going to start. He begins chapter 2, Therefore, because, therefore, Christ has brought us here, Christ the Creator of all things, Christ the living Word of God, who was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father. Therefore, with this knowledge, therefore, of all that I have taught you and told you and preached, Therefore, he's speaking of the gospel. Would to God that his people could understand the value and the importance of the gospel and how we ought to be doing the best that we can do in life and the church and in the ministry to defend the gospel as we live in this dark age today and pray that God would spread it. To his people. Chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard in the gospel Christ and him crucified. Salvation is of the Lord, salvation is in Christ. There is no other way, for no man could fulfill the law, no man could keep the law. No man could draw nigh unto God. No man could know God. Adam was driven from the presence of God in the garden. It is impossible for flesh to reach to point to know God. The only way to know God is in Christ, who is God manifest in the flesh, is in Christ who reveals Himself to His children as and when He pleases. Lest at any time we should let them slip. Lest at any time we should be drawn away. Lest at any time we should fall to false doctrine. Anything taught that is not Christ and Him crucified is false doctrine. Anything that gives glory to any one or anything other than the Christ of God is blasphemy. God's children are flesh. We can easily 
on our own fall away from the truth. The fears of the flesh, the doubtings, persecution, tribulation, things that affect us in such a way that like the children of Israel in the wilderness, when we're afflicted, we seek help other than from God and we suffer for it. Give heed, earnest heed, to the things which you've heard, Christ and Him crucified. For the word spoken by angels was steadfast. It's solid. It's the Gospel. It could not be denied in truth, for it is truth, and Christ is the truth, or He's the way, the truth, and the life. But the word spoken by angels in the Old Testament and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. They were warned. They were told in violating the law that they would suffer the punishment in Scripture that God ordained under the law. He said, if you kill, then they take your life. If you steal, you repay up to tenfold all the things in the law that God gave unto them. It was held to be truly the Word of God. It was held to be held, it was, it was told to be, it was given to them to be held on to, to live by, to profit in their lives, to profit in godliness under the law. The law is good, holy, just, and perfect. It's weak in the flesh because flesh is flesh. But the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. I am the Lord. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay and for every transgression, there is a recompense. And he makes that statement and he says to the Jews, because remember the Hebrews, they were being lured away from this mystery which had been revealed very recent. They were lured away from the church of grace. They were lured away from all the things they had been taught and brought up under in the law and under the law. He says, how shall we escape? Another proof, this is Paul, a Jewish man who wrote the book of Hebrews. We, Hebrews, Jews. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Romans says he was of the stock of Abraham. He was an Israelite by birth. He was an Israelite by nature. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. This is not speaking of eternal life being won or lost and walking by the letter of the law to earn, obtain, or keep eternal life. We must rightly divide the word of truth. Christ died for the sins of His people. He finished the work 
the Father gave Him to do. He fulfilled the law of God. Everything that we look into in the law and the prophets that we preach our whole life and walk and study and look into and still cannot comprehend but a fraction of it. He fulfilled it all by the will of God. There is no chance. There never has been a chance that a child of God will be raised forth from the grave on the day of the resurrection and go to the lake of fire. There's no way. This was covenanted. We spoke about that a few weeks ago before the foundation of the world. Even though we're guilty, even though we're sinners, this covenant between Father, Word, and Holy Ghost, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost has always been and always stood. I say that to make the point, He's not speaking here about heaven and hell and eternity. When He says, how shall we escape? And we really ought to be looking into this and praying every day in this dark, vile world in which we live when the whole world is turned upside down and what is good is called evil and what is evil is now called good. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This is temporally in this world as these people live, as we live, somebody might say, well, that's written to the Jews. Yes, it was. But you bear this in mind. You're not Jew nor Gentile. We're all Jew in the eye of God because Christ sprang forth from the tribe of Judah. And we're all Jew because of our inheritance in Him, there was a change in the priesthood from Levi to Christ, from Leviticus and Levitical priesthood to Christ, to grace. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How can we live in this world? How can we prosper in our families? How can we prosper in society? Yes, we go back to the law. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. Why reverence your husband? Bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This was taught in the law. This is fulfilled in Christ. This is how we are to live in this world. And if the whole congregation of God's people, not just the church, but all of God's people, lived in such a manner, this would be a much better place to live. But that's not going to happen because of flesh. How shall we escape the misery, the torment, the disobedience, the attacks of our soul, trials, tribulations, temptations? Daily we must pass through. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation. How are we going to walk in this world with peace in our heart in unison with husbands and wives and children? Got to see 
Some of mine yesterday haven't seen in months. It's a wonderful thing. How shall we escape? We have this in Christ. It's preserved in Christ. We walk in Christ. How can shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I speak a lot of family because that's the first institution that God created. Husband, wife, and then children. But brethren, the family evidently by the New Testament and the Old is to worship together in the church. Deuteronomy, I think chapter 5. Somewhere close there in two anyway. Teach these things diligently to thy sons and thy sons' sons. That teaches us standing alone that we are to worship together and we are to teach these things and worship together. We could sit and talk the rest of the month about the ailments of the world and why it's that way. That's not my point. Paul is teaching these Jews, how shall we escape the torment of this world and the things in this world and live in the joy that God hath given to us in the knowledge of Jesus Christ if we neglect so great a salvation. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. What did Christ come preaching? Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I've heard this preached many times by people, and what I heard was exactly true. Repent from your sins. Repent from your evils. Repent from whatever you do wrong. Repent from your flesh. Pray to God you can repent from your thoughts and ideas and the things of your heart which lead you astray. But you bear in mind the text and who He's talking to. He's also telling them, repent from the teachings of the law and going back to the things which I took you from. These things first began to be spoken by the Lord. Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The beginning of the church, Mark 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where the church began. John came preaching repentance for the remission of sins. Christ came preaching past that. He was preparing the way for Christ. Christ came preaching, repent you for the kingdom of God is at hand. This has absolutely nothing to do with bringing you to heaven and immortal glory. He's preaching the gospel. And Paul teaches us the gospel does not give life, but it brings life and immortality to light. The knowledge of it. This began not by an angel teaching us, not by the apostles teaching us, not by Moses or Noah, a preacher of righteousness, teaching us. This began and came from the very lips and tongue of the Son of God Himself. Repent ye, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There was speaking up at that graduation yesterday a lot of the parents and the man who was the minister of the church there telling them 
to seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Do you see the importance of the church? Do you see the importance of the church of grace? The Gentile church where we learn, where we draw nigh unto God, where we love each other with a love that comes from God Himself through Christ when it's revealed to us that God loved us in the vast regions of eternity which we cannot fathom nor understand at this point in time. Such a great knowledge, such a great love, such a great comfort. When we lose a loved one, we have comfort that they love the Lord, that God loved them, that they're standing in eternal glory right now with Christ, awaiting the resurrection of the body. This was all spoken of in the Lord because this knowledge comes from God writing His law upon your heart and translating you into the kingdom of God. And the importance of being in the kingdom of God is this is preached. And here we worship and here we feed upon manna from above and we love and we understand and we have great peace and comfort in Christ. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him, the apostles. It was not the angels that brought this. It was the Lord of glory Himself. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to His own will. Sixteenth chapter of the book of Mark, we find those gifts mentioned where the Lord is teaching. And these signs, verse 17, Matthew, I mean Mark 16, and these signs, what's Paul saying over here? God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders. And these signs shall follow them that believe in the day of the apostles, in the first century. The New Testament books and epistles were not yet written. Today we live by faith. We see Christ by faith. These men saw Him by sight. It's written upon our heart. God hath given us this knowledge through revelation. And these signs shall follow them that believe in My name, Christ. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing... It shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We went through the books of Acts. You remember that? They cast out devils. They spoke with tongues. What does that mean? That doesn't mean you spit out gibberish. That means that just like on the day of Pentecost, there were so many there from different nations and when the Word of God was delivered to them when they preached the Word, they all understood in their own tongues. They cast out devils. They spoke in tongues. They took up deadly serpents. You remember Paul being bit by the viper and shaking it off in the fire. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. 
there in the first part of Acts when they were going into the temple and the lame man was there. And they laid hold on him and said, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I say unto thee, Arise and walk. They had those gifts. And they had those signs. They came from God. Paul is telling these Jews this. Many of them were there and lived through these days and saw these things. These gifts were with them to confirm that they were of God, that God saw them, that God worked them. They were writing and establishing the New Testament, the New Covenant. God gave them signs for the time of that time to glorify God, to glorify Christ, and to found the church. But today, we are in the church of faith, of love. We see Christ not by sight, but by faith. The day is coming when we leave this world and it's destroyed that we shall see Him again by sight. But Paul is telling these Jews that God, given to these in the ministry of that day, bore witness with signs and wonders, with gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. Jesus told them to go into Jerusalem and await the promise of the Father. And when the time came, they would be uh, endued with the Holy Ghost. Now you, you, you rightly divide the Word of Truth and the text. They could hear God. God had already given them life because they sought Him and they followed Him. So the power given unto them in the book of Acts that he's speaking of was not the power to be born again as the Son of God. God had already done that. The power to them was the power given them in that day and age to bear witness to the Holy Ghost of the Son of God was the power that came from God. They died. Those powers are gone. We live by faith. I hope that makes sense. For unto the angels, those whom many of the Pharisees had worshipped, hath He not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak? Eternity. Angels are not the rulers of eternity. That world is not answering to them. That world is not for them. They are creatures created of God just like a man. That world is not in subjection. Eternity is not in subjection to the angels. It's in subjection to the Lord of glory. For unto the angels He hath hath He not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak, but one, being David. Paul didn't forget where this was at. Paul knows it's in the 8th Psalm. This again agrees that this is Paul. For this is the way the Jews would speak. This is the way they knew the law. They knew the verse. They knew the chapter. They knew the book. 
But in a certain place, this is David, the 8th Psalm. Because the world to come is not in subjection to the angels. But one in a certain place testified, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? David is speaking of the Christ of God. The 8th Psalm we find written where... I'll go to verse 4 of the 8th Psalm. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? we just reading the same thing in Hebrews. For thou hast made him, Christ, a little lower than the angels. Christ is not created. Christ is eternal. He's the second person of the Godhead. Let us make man in our image. Genesis. The Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost. Christ was there before the beginning. All things were made by Him. All things were made for Him. When the Scripture says, Thou hast made Him a little lower than the angels, that's not speaking of the eternal Son of God being created. It's speaking of Him entering into this world from the womb of a woman, being a man, all man, all God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, lower than the angels, lowering Himself down to the death of the cross, humbling Himself down to the death of the cross, laying aside the glory of the Godhead and entering into this world through the womb of a virgin, for He was not from one to have inherited sin. His Father was God. Lower than the angels. Crowned Him with glory and honor. He now sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high. The glory of God returned to Him. And the honor due unto Him Thou madest Him to have dominion over the works of Thy hands. Thou hast put all things under His feet. Don't confuse this. The Lord said when He created man that they were to have dominion over the earth. And Adam fell. This is not speaking of Adam. This is speaking of Christ who has dominion over all things, principalities and powers, angels, seraphims, cherubs, children of God, children of evil, darkness, death, and life, and eternal life, and the power to forgive sins. Thou madest Him have dominion over the work of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under His feet. Back to Hebrews. Thou madest Him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest Him with glory and honor. And didst set Him over the work of thy hands. This is the Son of God. Thou hast put all 
things in subjection under His feet. All things are in subjection to Him. All things are sustained by Him. All things were created by Him. This is Christ, the One whom they by wicked hands had taken and crucified. The One whom they had hated without a cause. You see grace here? The One whom they had delivered up to Pilate to kill because they had not the power anymore to kill because they were under the bondage of Rome and Rome held that power to itself. For in that thou hast, and that he put all in subjection under him and left nothing that is not put under him, nothing at all. But now we see not yet all things put under him. That's not contradicting. Rightly divide the word of truth. Christ has power over all things created. The only thing that is not created is God. Therefore, that teaches me that Christ has power over all things. So when it says that now we see not yet all things put under Him, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. It teaches us that God has exalted Him high above all things. The text is dealing with the resurrection of the dead. Paul says in verse 24, Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when He shall have put shall have put down all rule and authority and power, for He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The enemies of Christ are now defeated. We'll find more of that in this chapter. I refer you to Revelation 12 again. The battle of Christ and the dragon. The child that was born, the Son, the Christ of God, God Himself, the living Word of God was made flesh. The battle between the Son of God and Satan, our accuser. He's defeated. Christ defeated Him. We're now here in the kingdom of the power of God, in the kingdom of His Christ, in this world while we suffer affliction. He's defeated Him. But He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. We as flesh always think of death and we think of the laying down of the body. There are more deaths. Jude speaks of those twice dead. They're dead in sin and have no way of recovery because God left them in the natural state of Adam, fallen Adam. They're dead in sin. Therefore, they're dead to God. There's two deaths. Along with the third death, which is the laying down of the body. There's another death of being banished from God forever. We look past these things and understand the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. When will that be? When the last 
promised heir of God is born of the Spirit of God. It may be when he's a hundred years old. It may be when he reaches adulthood. It may be when he goes to church the first time and hears the minister speak of the oracles of God and the beauty of the glory of Jesus Christ and God may touch him there. Or it may be in his mother's womb when he's born of the Spirit of God as was John the Baptist. But when the last enemy that shall be destroyed, when the last child of God is born of the Spirit of God, when the last of the elect of God, the last one that's on the lineage that God chose, by His omnipotent power and wisdom and His right to do so, when that person, when that child is born of the Spirit of God, then death will be totally destroyed. For all the Father gave Him shall at that point be born of God Translated to the kingdom of God. Yes, in the womb. Be born of God and have eternal life. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For He hath put all things under His feet, but when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted. That's not accepted. Accepted. That doesn't mean you made a choice to receive Him. That means He's accepted. He's set aside above all things as the Lord of glory by the Father which did put all things under Him. Thou madest Him little Lord and angels. Thou hast put all things in subjection under His feet. For in that He put all things in subjection under Him, He left nothing that is not put under Him. But now we see not yet all things put under Him. The last child of God is born of the Spirit. All things will be under Him for the last one that was dead in sin shall be made clean. But we, God's born again children, see Jesus. Again, the apostles and many of those men upon the face of the earth, this was required of an apostle. To be an apostle, apostle, you had to see Christ. John 1 1, 1 John 1 1 tells us you had to see him, you had to hear him, you had to touch him. They had to see these things and record them to bear record of us of eternal life, which is Christ. Paul says, But we see Jesus. You see him today by faith. We went through that talking about the covenant God. They shall all know Me from the least to the greatest, for I will write My law upon their inward parts. Jeremiah 31.31 But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Angels are spirits that are created of God. Angels are not eternal because they are created. They're creatures. But angels do have eternal life. Look, when God formed man to dust the ground, He 
He formed him body from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The soul of man never dies. The body is laid down. The soul of man does not die. It came from the Spirit of God. It came from the breath of God. It never dies. Well, what happens when an evil person dies? There's only two places to go and the wicked are not going to inherit heaven and immortal glory. That's to the elect of God. So that only leaves the lake of fire. We see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He laid His life down. He raised it up again. He suffered every punishment in the law that was due to us because we fell in Adam. Because we're sinners. Because we have no way of recovery. We have no way of knowing God. We have no way of loving God. But then we see the election of grace and the, the manifestation of the mystery kept hidden from the foundation of the world, the Gentile church. We see these things in Christ. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. He's coming into that later, speaking to the Jews. My point is He died, He laid His life down, and He raised it back up again. He shed His blood for us somewhere in the past month. We've talked about Moses sprinkling everything in the church and all the congregation with blood under the law. That teaches us of the blood of Christ upon everything that God chose to be merciful to. Jesus, a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. That work is complete or God would not have received Him back unto glory. John 19.30, It is finished. Why did He say that? That the Scriptures were fulfilled. That everything in the Law and the Prophets, it was manifested to them that day. It's manifested to us today through the preaching of the Gospel. That work was fulfilled. It is finished. He's crowned with glory and honor at the right hand of the Majesty on high, where there is not sin, there's never been sin, there's never been wickedness, there's never been evil. It cannot exist there. It is impossible that it should approach there because that is the realm of Almighty God who is totally and wholly righteous. And He's at the right hand of the Father, crowned with glory and honor that He, Christ, by the grace of God, the unmerited love and favor of God to you who know Him, to you who believe in Him. You don't have to come get down before the altar and accept Christ. Do you understand what Scripture says? John said, I write unto you that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that ye may know. 
that you have eternal life. You've already got it because God revealed it to you. And God gave it to you. So when He says that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man, He's not talking about the race of Adam. He's talking about the elect of God. How do we know them? It's manifested in many of them by the way they walk and the way they live. I told Stuart last week, I said, I don't have to preach your mother's funeral. She preached it as she lived. You think about Brother Bill, Sister He preached his funeral while he lived. It was manifested that God was in them because God causes Christ to be manifested and magnified by the way they live and what He has done with them. When it says that He by the grace of God should taste death for every man, that means He tasted death for everyone the Father gave Him. For it became Him, Christ, for whom are all things. We've been building up to this without me knowing it. But God works that way. We've talked about the covenant, God. We've talked about grace. We've talked about Jews and Gentiles all being one and the creation of heaven and earth. For it became Him for whom are all things. Everything is made for Christ. It's all for His glory. When He delivers up the kingdom of God and He is accepted, when He's placed above all things, when He is shining in the brightness of the glory of God and all the children of God with Him, praising His name, He will be glorified forever. That will never end. That's the purpose of creation. is the glory of the Son of God. Well, you got to do this or that or other to be saved, they say. I pity that people that have that belief. They cannot grasp hold of the power of God. The world was not created to save people. The world was not created for Christ to offer Himself to you and deliver you. The world was created to glorify the Son of God and all those we've been talking about being manifested through their life that God was in them will be in that realm of eternity living a life and praising God that will never end. And if you remember going through the covenant, God... And second, Peter also living in a new world and a new earth yet without sin. For it became Him for whom are all things, because they're all for Christ, and by whom are all things, because they're all created in Christ and by Christ, and bringing many sons Unto glory. That's not every man that lives. That's many sons. To make the captain 
of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Perfect through sufferings. Sister Hand used to like to sing the song. Bliss comes through sore temptations. I think the next thing is in troubles, by the way. A child of God is going to suffer persecutions. Christ suffered for us. He was made perfect through sufferings. Listen, Christ was born all man. God cannot suffer. There had to be suffering. Christ was born a man that could feel pain. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He got cold. He got hot. He sweated. He walked. He worked for a living. He was a man. All man. He suffered every temptation that men suffer. Every passion of man. Every desire and lust of man. He suffered all of these things, yet was without sin. He suffered for us. John said that the books were written of the works of Christ, the whole world could not contain them. Everything He said, everything He did, Every suffering that he had was for the sake of God's elect. And if you love God, you are among that number. And you had absolutely nothing to do with it. Neither did I. We come here to praise God for His grace. To make the captain of their salvations perfect. Bliss comes through sore temptations and conflict by the way. That's what the words. Perfect through sufferings. He's already perfect. He's the Son of God. He has no sin, no desires, no wants. I'm so sick of people saying the Lord wants you. God does not want nor need for anything. God is a God of purpose. He purposed the glory of His Son and you are in that purpose. We are the beneficiaries of the grace of God and the election of grace. And for that reason, we're here in gratitude and love and love from our heart to praise Him. He suffered for us. And we suffer for Him. And I'm going to close with this. It's about our time. And I'm not bringing up bad thoughts. I want to bring forth good thoughts. There's nothing bad in the Gospel. There's nothing bad to Christ. I've watched people in my life at work die and get killed and beheaded and cut in half, seriously, both of them. <clears throat> Raped, mutilated, some of them burned. I've seen some that died in anguish and some that died in peace. But I'll tell you this. I have seen many of God's children 
that suffered, and I'm thinking of Sister Beverly at the moment, in this body for a short period of time before they live. Personally, my thought on that, I believe God prepares us to die, and I believe she was fully well prepared. He know that time is coming. She was content in that. Garland Justice, I've told you this before, always told me, I want to live. I want to live. When I went to see him before he died, he said, Vaughn, I'm ready to go home. God prepares us to live. And we sometimes suffer before death shortly because God has placed within us in this creation He created a desire to stay here, to live here. We have our family we love so much. We have the church we love so much. We have the things God has blessed us with in this world we don't want to leave by our very nature. And sometimes I believe that God allows us to suffer a bit to cause us to want to leave what's behind as He opens the gate and the two angels descend and take your soul to glory when heaven is opened by an eye of faith and you see that stairway and you see Christ standing at the top of it. Not by your power, but by the power of God, you are taken up. And that suffering's no more. Because when this body is laid down, that sin death's laid down with it upon our flesh. And we suffer no more. That's the gospel Paul was bringing to these Jews. That's the gospel which by the purpose of God and the grace of God that is delivered unto you today through the preaching of the Gospel.